There's a lot of phrases in that hymn that um, really have an impact on me pretty much every time we sing it. Um, the one that, that got me today, especially as I thought about Jonah sitting in this smelly, slimy, disgusting place of God's salvation, is, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Talking about how, how much every day we are in desperate need of, of God's grace, his free gift of, of love and, and mercy and, and rescue. And so that's what we get to talk about today. We get to reflect on, on that uh, truth in Jonah's life and in ours as well. Uh, so go ahead and have a seat and uh, let's get into that. So today uh, we're in the, the second week of a three-week series on Jonah. Uh, last week we focused on, on Jonah's running away and how that led to his utter ruin in chapter 1, when we left off, uh, Jonah's Mediterranean luxury cruise had been rudely interrupted uh, by a storm that God had sent. He had been thrown over the side of the, uh, the tongue-twister, Tarshish-bound ship. You can try that later if you want. And uh, he was, was left sinking down into the raging and convulsing waters. And then the last verse of our reading last week um, is where we pick up today. Would you read this with me? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, By the way, in case you haven't heard this before, whenever you're reading in an English translation of the Bible and in the Old Testament, whenever Lord is in all capital letters like this, that's because it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, the, the name of God that he gives to his people. And so if you hear me referring to God in that way, uh, throughout the, the sermon in this series, that's why uh, Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So today as we consider uh, this prayer of Jonah during his three-day, three-night stay in these uh, unusual accommodations, I want to start out by addressing uh, three questions, and they're on your sermon outline if you want to get that out. Uh, just a reminder, we have the sermon outline on the back. That's for you to kind of write down stuff right now as you think of it, uh, insights that are sparked during the message And then uh, quite a bit of stuff on the back for you to take home and reflect on individually or as a family, and some questions to consider, some more Bible passages to to get into what we're talking about today. Uh, So starting out with three questions, the first question is one that we addressed a little bit last week, and that is, did it really happen? In other words, is this story of Jonah being thrown into the sea and swallowed by this big fish and then spit back up, is it meant to be taken literally? Or is it it more of a kind of a fable or an allegory, a a metaphorical story uh, that's simply trying to to teach us something? Well, there are at least three reasons uh, why we can be confident that this is actually a true and accurate account of an event that did happen in human history. Uh, The first, as we made mention of last week, is that the narrative starts with the word vayahi in the Hebrew, uh, which means, and it happened. So it's kind of a formulaic way Um, in ancient Hebrew writings, uh, to say that what is to follow is a historical account. Uh, From the very beginning, there's no indication in the story of Jonah itself that that it is meant to be taken any less literally than any of the other prophetic or historical books in the Old Testament. Uh, Secondly, as we mentioned last week, and then as we heard again today with our, our gospel reading from Luke, Jesus himself references the story of Jonah 
um, as this historical event that is meant to point as a sign of his death and resurrection. And there's no indication that Jesus considered it to be a, a mere parable or a myth. And so that should, uh, should be more than good enough for us. But that's all well and good. Still, how is it possible? I mean, we have to admit that, that a guy being thrown off of a ship in the Mediterranean Sea and being swallowed by a fish for three days and three nights sitting in the belly and, and somehow surviving sounds a bit far-fetched. That's why it's important to note that as we read through the book of Jonah, it's very clearly describing what happened here as a miracle. It's Yahweh who appointed this fish and sent it to swallow up Jonah. It's under Yahweh's guidance and provision that all of this happens. God is clearly using some very, very unusual means, to say the least, uh, to rescue Jonah here. And so uh, it's... uh, it's not something that we should look at and say, well, that, that just doesn't seem like something that would normally happen, so therefore it couldn't have happened. Uh, by the way, this whole question of whether Jonah is a, a literal kind of historic story or not is not just something that our you know, really enlightened modern minds have been able to, to start questioning. Back in the fourth century, uh, St. Augustine was writing about this very question, and he said this, I've noticed that this sort of question is a matter of much jest and much laughter to pagans. And by pagans, he just means those who who don't believe in the true God. The answer to this is either that all of the divine miracles are to be disbelieved, or there is no reason why they should not be believed. So in other words, these are miraculous things. We either believe them or we don't. He goes on to say, We should not believe in Christ himself and that he rose on the third day if the faith of the Christians feared the laughter of the pagans. So we'll let others laugh and and deride the story and, and say that it's completely unbelievable. But together, why don't we stand on the truth of God's word? Our second question deals specifically with our text from today, Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish in chapter 2. And uh, the question is just, what exactly are we to make of this prayer? It's, it's a little confusing in some ways. Um, is it a prayer of repentance? If not, what exactly is it? You might have noticed that as Don was reading that today, uh, Jonah never actually says he's sorry for running away. He doesn't really confess his sin so much as acknowledge the, the ruin into which his sin led him and then say thank you to God for not letting him die. It's almost like Jonah, this anti-prophet like we talked about last week, now has has no choice but to talk to the God who has saved his life despite his defiance. But even if Jonah's prayer is not a, a good example of repentance, and even if we may kind of question some of his sincerity, his prayer is actually a beautiful example of another kind of prayer, That's a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, This prayer of Jonah actually has uh, a lot in common with a a typical thanksgiving psalm. Some scholars have noted that there are kind of five key elements to to a thanksgiving psalm, and Jonah's prayer has each of these in order. Uh, So first of all, there's an introductory statement of appreciation for the rescue that God granted. There's a description of the misery that he was facing and needed to be rescued from. There's a description of his appeal to God to rescue him. There's an indication that God did rescue him. 
And then it ends with a vow to continue worshiping Yahweh for what he has done for him. As one church father put it, finally from these depths, Jonah, who was set in the whale's belly and had entered hell alive, spoke to the Lord with silent vehemence. The whale was a house of prayer for the prophet, a harbor for him when shipwrecked, a home amid the waves, a happy resource at a desperate time. And that leads us into our our third question that I want to ask today, and that is, was Jonah's being swallowed up by this fish a form of punishment, or was it a form of protection? So let's have a show of hands, uh, if you don't mind. How many of you think that, that Jonah being swallowed by the fish was a form of punishment? Raise your hand. A few of you. How many of you think it was a form of protection from God? Okay, several more of you. How many of you didn't vote? So most of you should raise your hand now. Okay. How many of you didn't vote even then? No. So if you answered yes to one of these or to both of them, you are correct. (laughs) The, The short answer to this question is yes. The long answer is the rest of this message. Hopefully it's not too long of an answer for you, though. Um, as, we, as we seek to answer this question now and talk about how God's sending the fish was both punishment and protection, I'd invite you, uh, again, to look at your sermon outline and to think of this rescue that God brings, this deliverance that God gives in the form of, of rescue and rebirth. Um, Throughout this whole process, Jonah recognizes that God has has been the one that's been active. It was God who actually had had sent Jonah uh, into a storm. It was God that had thrown him overboard, who had sent the waves crashing all around him. It was God who had delivered Jonah from drowning, and it was God who was listening to Jonah's prayer for help. In other words, Jonah recognizes that his rescue consisted of, of both God's judgment and God's salvation. In Martin Luther's commentary on this section, he writes, By being swallowed by the fish, it came about that although Jonah was in the midst of death, still he was alive. This is a wonderful account in which the excellent, most high God has wished us to become very certain that he is the Lord of death and life, that all things are in his hand. For he himself is the one who kills and makes alive, makes alive and kills, leads down to hell and brings out again. In other words, the belly of the fish was both judgment and salvation. And Luther wants us to make sure that that we understand that this is how God loves us as well. God loves us with both his law and his gospel. But you may be asking yourself, and it's kind of a fair question, how are are all these elements of judgment part of of God's rescue at all? Being thrown into the sea, having these waves crashing into you. How is uh, being led down to the doorsteps of hell a, a form of rescue? It's a pretty tough question, but let's try to answer it together. A key aspect to understanding where Jonah is coming from with all of this can be found in the first verse of his prayer where he prays, I called out to Yahweh in my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. 
Now, maybe you've run across this word, Sheol, in your Bible reading or in your studies before, or maybe it's brand new to you. Um, Sheol is mentioned 66 times in the Old Testament, and, and pretty much in every case, it refers to kind of this realm of the dead deep in the heart of the earth. Uh, so though, so though there are, are some similarities between like the Egyptian and Mesopotamian ideas of the underworld, um, it's not the same thing by any means. The, the Hebrew word Sheol carries with it a sense of, of personal emotion and, and apprehension at one's impending death, and especially the judgment of Yahweh that will immediately follow it. Sheol is a, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad place. It represents separation from Yahweh, so much so that the King James Version of the Bible actually translates this word, hell. So if you have a King James Version, go read Jonah today, and you'll see that Jonah says, from the belly of hell, I cried out to you. Now, of course, Jonah had not actually died, and, and so in his prayer here, he's, he's using this word to acknowledge that if God had not intervened immediately, he would have been as good as dead. In one of the many instances of irony in the book of Jonah, this anti-prophet's intent was to flee from the presence of Yahweh. And when God gives him just a small, salty taste of what that's like, Jonah doesn't like it at all. It's like a little boy who packs his bags and, and runs away, heads down the street, and when he gets about a block away, he turns around and comes back because he realizes that he doesn't know how to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. What Jonah was hoping to find by running away from God turns out to be nothing but agony and ultimately death. So why did God let it get to this point? This whole narrative makes it clear that, that God easily could have gotten Jonah to Nineveh in any way that he wanted. He could have you know, blown him there with a mighty wind. He could have whisked him away in the spirit or, or something like that. Instead, God chooses to use a storm and a fish to make Jonah feel like he's died. Why? Well, I think at least part of the answer is because it was an opportunity for Jonah to come face to face with God's incredible salvation in the clearest and most spectacular of ways. Jonah well understood that, that he had been given life when all he deserved was death. God had used this terrifying, death-like experience to preserve Jonah's life. And so, in the belly of the fish, Jonah was under both God's judgment and God's protection at the same time. And as strange as that may sound, if you think about it, you might be able to relate. Can you think of a time in your life where God allowed you to run away, sometimes maybe to experience pain and fear that you otherwise would never have had, only to rescue you in a spectacular way to let his law and his gospel change who you are and draw you closer to him than you could have been otherwise. Going back to Luther's comments, in this way, death and sin are an opportunity for life and righteousness for the saints. That's us. Shame, listen to this part, shame becomes an opportunity for glory. As some of you are probably aware, 
Even as Harvey and Irma were were wreaking havoc down south, there were several uh, enormous wildfires raging out west. And one of those uh, was in the the Columbia River Gorge out in Oregon, one of the most beautiful places in the world and one that's near and dear to my heart. Emily and I and and countless others have, have wonderful memories there, and it's been heartbreaking to hear about how these fires caused by some teenagers throwing fireworks in the forest have caused destruction that, that will change the landscape for the rest of our lives. Yet even in such a saddening event as this, you can see not only judgment, but salvation. Reflecting on this truth, the husband of a, a college friend of ours uh, wrote these beautiful words. 10,000 plus acres of memories, hopes, and dreams are burning today, including many of mine, and the ash is still falling I'm not immune or alone in mourning this. Still, the undergraduate ecologist in me remembers that the next few springs will be marked not just by blackened cathedrals, but also by wildflower blooms, songbird influxes, and life finding its colorful way back in infinite ways and places. I can imagine far worse things than raising my kids in a landscape of resurrection. Stay safe, everybody. There's still a lot more living left to do. There certainly is. Because no matter what judgment we may face, no matter what pains and fears our sins have caused us or others, the salvation that belongs to Yahweh brings about rebirth, both for Jonah and for us. Even though Jonah had not listened to God's call, still God not only hears Jonah's plea to save his life, but answers his prayer in an even fuller way in the verse that immediately follows his prayer. It's good that we get to hear this again. Let's read this together. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, I didn't double-check this. Uh, Maybe Mr. Cammon did, but I'm pretty sure this is the only reference to fish vomit in the Bible. Um, I actually, and this is true, I actually wanted to call this sermon Rescue and regurgitation. Uh, But Emily didn't let me because she thought it was too gross. And it is gross, isn't it? Kind of like, I don't know, childbirth. With both some humor and some powerful imagery, Jonah is vomited back up onto the shore. He is given new birth. He is given a, a new mission, or maybe even better, a renewed mission. Jonah prayed, you brought up my life from the pit, O Yahweh my God. And he had. God had rescued Jonah by judgment and salvation, using Jonah's slow descent into darkness to lead him into the fish's womb to be reborn and recommissioned to serve as God's voice to the people of Nineveh. We too have been reborn, brought out of darkness and given rebirth. Paul talked about it this way in our reading from Titus today and in his words that he shared with that pastor that describe our baptism as a washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, in our sin, we were as good as dead if Yahweh did not intervene immediately. Now, at its root, the word immediately actually means without mediation, without anything coming between. And that's exactly how Yahweh came to us. 
Jesus, very God, a very God, placed himself under the judgment of God on the cross. And by his descent into Sheol, he brought about our salvation. Cyril of Jerusalem wrote back in the 4th century, Christ went down of his own will to make death disgorge those it had swallowed up. According to the scripture, I shall deliver them from the power of Sheol, and I shall redeem them from death. In our gospel readings, uh, both this week and last week, we heard Jesus refer to the sign of Jonah, and I'd encourage you to go take a closer look at both of those uh, this next week. You'll notice that, that in our reading from Matthew last week, the sign of Jonah seems pretty clearly to be referring to Jesus' death, how Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. But in our reading from Luke today, there's, there's a subtle but important difference. In Luke, when Jesus mentions the sign of Jonah, there's no mention at all of the fish. There's no mention of the, the three days. Instead, Jesus says that Jonah himself became a sign to the people of Nineveh, having been given a rebirth, a rebirth that, that I think we can, can just about guarantee Jonah saw as resurrection. In the same way, Jesus Christ, who has risen from the dead, now stands as a sign for us of our rebirth and our restoration to life when we, like Jonah, should have died. Because of this, every day, we can and we will walk and live in the landscape of resurrection that Jesus has won for us, doing his work and crying out triumphantly, as Jonah does at the end of his prayer, that salvation belongs to Yahweh. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, as we wrap up our series, we'll see how, how this truth is true not just for Jonah, but for Nineveh and for us, that salvation belongs to Yahweh and it is for all people. Until then, may the peace of God which transcends our understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.